host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest. So I have Sam Thiar all the way from Vancouver, Canada, uh, who's graced me with his presence. And no further ado, Sam, please introduce yourself to the audience and let them know like who you are and what you do. Well, thanks, Max, for this opportunity today to be present and to share with your audience. The best way for me to describe myself is there are five things that guide and direct me in life and career. The five things are servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five things have enabled me to help individuals, teams, organizations, schools, and nonprofits to really perform at their best. But those five things have also made me into a speaker and a storyteller, a writer and an author, mentor, coach, an educator, problem solver, community activator. And I will say that The clarity of who you are definitely is really significant over what you do. So I encourage uh, people to really understand who they are. It'll help them in the long run. That's great when you said community activator, right? Like if if you, a little bit about my background that you don't know. So like I've come from, you know, I was an active addiction for years, right? So I was opposite of that community activator, right? So, but what I've learned the opposite of addiction is connection. So like, I'm really grateful for you coming on and doing this podcast with me because it seems that's who I'm connecting with lately is people that are very active in their community, helping the people around them, showing them how to overcome challenges. So, you know, like I'm excited when you said you'd come on and do my podcast and I was reading your bio, I was like, yeah, I got to have Sam on here. Right. And plus, you know, I get to connect with people all over the world. And right. So I'm showing that it is true connection. You can you would now with our technology, you can reach people all over the world. So let the audience know. And I'd like to know, like, what have been some of your toughest challenges you've had to overcome? Right. Because you, you've you written two books. Yep. You know, we shared a little bit about our personal lives being caretakers. And, you know, that's a challenge in itself. But like some of the challenges you have gone through to yep. get to where you are today. Right. The center point of the challenges that really has established my foundation is years and years ago, uh, I was in university, finished a degree in business and political science with this whole idea of, okay, who's lucky to get me? Because I'm I'm finished, I'm done. And, uh, you know, now I'm going to go search for jobs. And I remember back then we had to either type or, or write letters and then pop it in the mail or hand deliver it. And I remember doing 12 letters in a short time to companies that I thought, okay, you know, I think I'd like to work for them. Well, two weeks later, after I sent out 12 letters, the first letter arrived back. 
opened it up and it said, sorry, we don't have a job for you. Good luck. And I thought, okay, hey, that's not a problem because you know what? I've got 11 letters out there. I'm going to send three more out there. Somebody's going to be lucky. Right. Well, more and more letters started arriving back. And for your audience, what I hold in my hand is 86 rejection letters from companies who said, we don't have a job for you. Good luck in your search. Uh, if people are just listening to this podcast, it's the size of a brick at these 86 letters. Every single letter was a nail in my coffin of self-confidence because it suddenly okay. made me realize not am I, you know, who's lucky to get me, but it was more of, am I lucky to get a job? So that was a challenge. That was probably my first biggest challenge that I encountered. And it was interesting because I finally did get a job. And my first job was an entry-level government job, business and political science. And people are surprised what I tell them about that first entry-level job. It was actually being a janitor in a hospital, mopping floors and emptying rubbish bins. Now, the importance of this, which relates to our topic today, is rather than looking at it as a negative, I decided to look at it as, okay, what am I going to gain? Not what do I lose, but what do I gain? And there's three lessons that I carried forward that carries me to who I am today. The first lesson, my father said, I don't care what you do. You have to do the best job possible. I poured my heart and soul into my work to be the best janitor I could be. And there was no floor left cleaner than at the end of my shift and no rubbish bin left full. I looked at it from the perspective of putting pride into what I was doing. The second valuable lesson is there were times, not always, but there were times I would get on the elevator with nurses, doctors, and administrators, and I'd be ignored. Mm. I know what it feels like to be ignored and, you know, just almost standing in a corner of an elevator while they're engaging in a, in a meaningful conversation and they don't even acknowledge. It taught me that everybody has a story. Everybody has something to share, and I am going to listen to you. And the third valuable lesson is no matter how desperate and terrible the situation you think you are in, instead of just focusing on the problem, what are we learning from this? And I learned value that in anything that we do, there's always lessons to be learned. Right. Those are three significant learnings and overcoming obstacles. It made me realize that obstacles are the necessary bricks on the road to success. I never fear the obstacles. I embrace the obstacles because by understanding what your obstacles are, it makes you stronger, you learn from it, and you're able to persevere. I mean, Max, I look at those letters now. If one of those letters would have materialized, my life would have gone in a different direction. I wouldn't be with you today. Right. And that, and that would have been a travesty for me. And the second important lesson on this is I look at those letters and many of those companies no longer exist, but I still do. I outlasted the company. We are resilient people. We will outlast mm. those right. situations. So that's just one example of challenges that I've overcome. I focused on not the obvious, but I focused on another aspect, which was, okay, great. I'm here, but what does this mean? And that's, that's cool. Like I, I kind of share a similar story. Um, like when I first got sober, right. And I hadn't worked in years. Right. So I don't have like a steady work, you know, history. 
And I remember one part of our daily routine was that I, if, if I wasn't working, I had to be looking for a job from eight to five. So my first year sober kind of kind of relates to what you're talking about, right? So I kept going out and I kept putting, you know, uh, applications in every day. I wouldn't come home. I'd leave at eight o'clock in the morning, wouldn't come home till five in the afternoon. Yeah, granted is I am a, a, a convicted felon, right? Mm-hmm. But nothing serious drug, yeah. you know, charge. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to all of these so-called fel- uh, felony friendly companies, right? But I keep getting the same answer. You know, we're going to go with another candidate. And I remember mm-hmm. going to my mentor and telling him I was real angry. You know, I'm like, man, I'm not getting a job. No one wants to hire me because I'm a felon. And he goes, okay, go flip burgers. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him like, do you know who I am? <laughs> and he chuckled. He goes, yeah. He goes, go flip burgers. I don't care what you do, but go flip burgers because mm-hmm. you need to make some money. And I said, man, like, no, I'm not doing it. My pride was so bad. Like, I am not doing that. You don't know who I am. So don't even ask me that. But I kind of did what you did. I, I stayed persistent and I went home that night and I prayed and I said, okay, God, you want me to flip burgers? I'll flip burgers. And here's why I did that. Cause he said, until I became willing to flip burgers, I would never get a job. Yeah. So I'm going to say, okay, I'll just do what he says. And I prayed and I said, okay, if you want me to work at McDonald's, you know, God, you know, I'll do it. And I prayed and you know, the next day, or I even think that later that, uh, yeah, it was that next morning, I got a call call from a job that wanted to hire me knowing I was a felon. And I got my first real job in recovery, as they say, right. And I was like, wow, this stuff works, right. But like, that's where you talk about the resilience. If I would have gave up, I may not be talking to you right now, right? Because I could have went the opposite way and said, no one wants to hire me, I might as well go drink and use again. And, you know, I could be sitting in a jail cell uh, wishing I had a job or wishing I was on a podcast with Sam. But, um, you know, I learned that lesson, too. And it's funny that you said that because I have a friend that says, lean into the suck. Yeah. Right. Because when you're leaning in, there's a lesson we need to learn. Actually, there's whatever the universe, whatever you want to call it, says there's a lesson you you need to learn. And sometimes there's a lesson within that lesson. So just keep leaning in. And when I, when I finally clicked and I got that, I just kept doing that. And, you know, over the years, my jobs have always gotten better. My pay has always gotten better. And now I get to do what I'm passionate about, right? Is it helping other people um, get sober? So, I mean, we could go on and on about these challenges, right? But, but that's life though. Don't you think is that we're always going to go through a challenge and it's how we look at it. Right. I always say, you know, do I want to be a part of the problem or do I want to be a part of the solution? So, you know, I've been taught to always think about when things are going tough, like what's the solution so I can work towards that. So what's your thoughts on that? I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. That's a space nobody likes. Like I want it all mixed up. I want it complicated. I want it difficult because the magic happens when you can actually peel away the surface layer and actually work towards solutions. And, you know, it may not be the solution you first thought of, but solutions are there. And I think people respect someone who, instead of the masses who can tell you what the problem is, I'm like, no, no, I'm working to a solution. For for example, I mean, I was approached and uh, a dear friend of mine, we do a leadership speaker series, and he's affiliated with this school in Nepal. And Uh, SMD school just struggles. Uh, Nepal is one of the poorest countries in the world, but the the school is thriving. 
on a minimum amount of budget and whatnot. And they're sending students around the world. And these students are so hungry for an education. Like we're talking about to get from Kathmandu, the capital where SMD is to their village. It's a five, six day trek through dangerous uh, environment. Right. And, you know, here we are, we take education for granted. And these people are striving and working. And I've committed myself to help SMD. Like I'm going to be working with a few people to pull proposal together and work on a sustainable solution because I've told myself much like what you are, I can't be a bystander in life. I am not going to be a bystander in life. So, you know, with regards to the work I'm doing in the community or mentorship and coaching or any number of speaking opportunities, the message is always the same is, but how will this help my audience? And whether it's an individual or an organization, it, to me, it doesn't matter if, if somebody walks away, it matters. Uh, In my first TEDx speech that I did on, uh, on storytelling, one of the things I shared is the fact that it's complicated, it's difficult, it's impossible to change the world. But actually, no, it's actually very easy. The way you change the world is not through your eyes. The way you change the world is through the eyes of the people that you help. Because if you are present, whether the person is a recovering addict, whether the person is a felon, and you've dedicated the time to that individual, they're going to see the world differently because of your presence. Well, I'm sorry, but you've just changed the world because their world has totally changed the world. So rather than changing the world through your own eyes, I've always said, I'm going to change the world through the eyes of the people I help. That's how it's done. Right. That makes a lot of sense because, right, I can do, I can change all day long but like say um i'm hiding out in my house that's not going to help somebody mm-hmm. you know what i mean so that's where we have to get out in front of people and go what well, and that that saying that gandhi says right if we want to see the change in the world we need to be that change right, right? and when we're that change i agree like then the people we're helping see that and they make the change and you're right mm-hmm. we see it through their eyes or they yeah. see it through their eyes and yep. you know totally. and it's I have learned, and it's only been probably recently in the last, say, four to five years, is where I've learned to be comfortable, like you mm-hmm. said, in the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that's where I'm going to grow. So when things are going smooth, that's where I get like weird, like, oh, something yep. bad is going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going too well. But, you know, but the mentors I have and the people that have led by example, like, I watch them, like, when they're struggling. That's when they're thriving. Cause like yeah. you said, they're in that space where like, I know I'm going to grow. I just got to keep going, you know, and that whole saying, don't stop and don't quit. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's this, a little saying in, in, in the 12 step meetings that I go to, right. That I learned early on. It was like, don't leave five minutes before the miracle. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I understood what that meant, it says, keep doing the work because on the other side of that work, you're going to see your results that you want. Yeah. Right. But if you leave, like, or decide, you know, in my case to go use drugs or alcohol again, mm-hmm. you're going to miss that miracle. And, yep. uh, you know, it's just a, it's a crazy world we're living in, you know, with, with COVID and, you know, that's why I don't take a lot of things on Facebook 
seriously because there's a lot of people that will like to point out the problem, but they're not mm-hmm. doing anything to make any changes to help other people. Yeah. Right. And fortunately for me, you know, I have such a positive network of friends that like, I don't get a lot of that stuff in my Facebook feed. So mm-hmm. it used to be when I was a whiner, you know, I'll admit it when I was always like, why, you know, why not me? Why don't I get this stuff? And I had to look at myself and go, cause I'm not doing the work. Mm-hmm. Right. But when I changed my perception and I changed my mindset and I started doing things differently, like I started getting a lot more positive feedback and, and that's yeah. how I try to keep it. Right. Cause we all know we can go to the negative. It's so easy. Yeah. But as you know, my mentors and stuff say, okay, so you're, you're complaining, but what, what's your part in it? Like, yeah. what are you doing to make it better? So I always have to go, okay. So I won't even go to them with stuff like that, you know? And uh, yeah, no. And that's also where I, I've often been called the difficult monk. And the reason they call me the difficult <laughs> I love monk I love is, it, is not because of, I have a beard and that uh, I'm older Uh, I'm called a difficult monk because what people say is they come to me looking for the answers to life because they, they hear me on the stage or, you know, that I've mentored and coached and had about 5,000 conversations to date. So they're like, okay, this is a person who is established and knows. Mm -hmm. And they do come to me, Max, asking me, what should I do here? Or what job should I do? What business should I start? And I look at them and I say, well, why are you asking me? And what I am is the difficult monk, because the answers that people are seeking lies within themselves. My job is to ask questions to get the answers out of them that are already present within them. The monk that they seek lies within them. So this is why I'm the difficult monk. I mean, yeah, I could sit there and say, yes, Max, I think you should do this. And then Max like, okay, great. I'm going to go down and do this because Sam said so. But I think that there are too many people out there telling you what to do. I'm here to listen to who you are. And then I want to ask a bunch of questions so that they activate the voice within to be louder than the noise around them. That's awesome. And that's kind of what I want to say is kind of like the network that I'm a part of, right? It's, it's all about like, they have this, one of their core values is F Y E. So you can imagine what that stands for. <laughs> Fuck your excuses. Excuse my language. Nope. Um, that's fine. You know what I mean? And, and do the work, right? Yep. Because that's basically their premise, right? If you do the work, the answer, you have it. You just have, we can't, we're not going to give it to you. We're going to give you the tools, but you have to find it, right? Just like my journey in recovery and your journey to becoming a speaker and an author, right? Like if someone did it for you, like it wouldn't mean that much to you, right? It's like when you get a gift, like, yeah compared to something you work for, right? Like, yeah, you, you're, you're grateful you got a gift, but it's not as important to you as if the thing you worked for, like blood, sweat, yeah. and tears for, you know what I mean? It's, it, it, in other words, the magic isn't there. Like, I'll give you a quick example. Like, awesome. okay, so I was born in England, raised in Canada. My parents are from Fiji Islands, which is near Australia. And my grandparents come from India. Well, people look at me and they're like, well, what part of India does your... Uh, do you come from? And I'm like, I was born in England, raised in Canada. No, 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 your parents. And I'm like, well, they come from Fiji Islands. And they're like, (laughs) are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my grandparents are Indian. Right. But my grandfather left, uh, my paternal grandfather left India back in 1905, got to Fiji. And then eventually my parents wound up in England where I was born. And then we moved to Canada. So quite a global journey. But I mean, think of it this way. So Also, we had no idea 
where our village was in India, because we had been separated for so long from this. And we had, uh, all I had was a, a faded photograph. So all I had was, for the ones who can see it, this faded photograph of people from my village and awesome. very little information. So it was just this faded photograph. It's orange, it's dingy, it's faded. <clears throat> so all I had was that to go by, the name of the village, the town it's around, and the district. And people said, never heard of it. I think the name is wrong. Uh, you know, we know the, the town, but never heard of the village and all of that. So it was, but I said to myself, I need to go find my ancestral roots. I need to find my grandfather's house. I went to India for the very first time. I was a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me. And I went in search of a needle in a haystack, knowing, not knowing where the haystack was. Right. <clears throat> but here's the part that relates to what you've just said. If it was as easy as getting off the plane, getting to a village or a place based on a map and meeting people, where's the adventure in this? Right. Instead, I needed to go discover India. I needed to go discover my, myself, my own identity. But it was also to seek out my grandfather's house. And it wasn't an easy search. And there were successes. There were setbacks there along the way. But there were two parts to this. Number one, I found my identity. I found my identity of how I could capture the essence of who I am as an individual, being British, Canadian, Fijian, and Indian. But I was also able to find my grandfather's house. Awesome. It wasn't easy. And I went out into the fields. I scooped up dirt and I brought it home to my father, who's never been to India and will never go to India. <clears throat> but it goes back to that whole aspect of no matter how much people had said you're wasting your time or, you know, there was all these uh, obstacles or noise and people who are just, what's the point? Well, that just gave me more fuel. That gave me more incentive to say, no, I have to do this. And it, like I said, it was a difficult journey. And I <clears throat> then write it into my, uh, into my book. It's called Lost and Found seeking the past and finding myself because it was about seeking the past, finding my grandfather's house, but it was also about finding myself as an individual and who I am. But that's where I'm glad it wasn't an easy journey because <clears throat> it wouldn't be worthy of a book, number one, and it wouldn't have been an interesting story to share. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, you know, because there's part of my journey that's still happening, right? Like I, would love to go back to Indonesia and find out where my roots come, you know, because I know like things I do know, you know, have died with aunts and uncles. And, but luckily I have some stories when my grandparents were alive, they kind of gave me some stories, but you know, like my biological grandfather who, who was a prisoner of war of the Japanese when they tried to take over Indonesia. Right. So like, mm -hmm. I want to go back there and, and, and find this, all this history. Yeah. Right. And, and then how the family moved from Hall from there, then to Holland, right. For a little bit. And then from Holland to America, right. And your story is just like mine. <laughs> yeah. Right. But see my, my challenge is like stuff I created that, you know, I, I own, like, I can't blame anybody else. It's stuff mm -hmm. like I did with, with my addiction, right. Where I got myself into financial trouble, child support, whatever I owe all this money which I own. That's my fault. No one did it, but me. Right. 
And so my, my journey is like, here's what I want to do. I want to overcome that challenge so I can do all that stuff. And I don't care how long it takes me. Right. Because like you, there's parts of my history that I know they're vague, you know, because people either forgot or the older generation doesn't remember. I mean, you know, because of what's going on with them. So it's kind of like it's a tough journey, but I want to find out. Right. I want to find all this stuff out. And, and to your point, it's so true because really I was going by oral history and <clears throat> I'd be sitting there in a room full of elders who were related to me and I'd ask a question. And before you know it, there's all this conversation of their childhood memories and things, and they're all laughing and having a great time. Uh, but you need to capture that oral history before it vanishes forever. Right. But equally at the same time, I've had people say, okay, I mean, you found your grandfather's house and the family members who are there are your direct descendants and related relations. But, you know, for example, somebody said, look, Sam, my ancestors come from Sicily. We have no records. And, you know, I don't even think I'll be able to ever find it. And, you know, that's the part that's frustrating. And I said, but here's the thing. All you need to do is go to Sicily. Uh, This is where your ancestors are from. When you're walking the streets, is this where your ancestors walked? When you're walking, do you have a sense and feel that this is like home, like another home or something that makes you feel very, something that feels like a blanket is just wrapped around you saying you are protected now. This is part of who you are. You don't necessarily have to find the exact house. You don't have to find the exact street, village, Maybe town, but just that you're in the presence is a journey enough that you now can capture it and then share that with people. Absolutely. Because I used to love sitting with my grandmother and listen to her stories, right? Because they didn't come from a very, you know, during the war. So they had barely anything. But to hear them laugh about even the toughest time in their life, right? Mm -hmm. Just used to... I could sit for, for hours and listen to my grandmother tell me stories about her childhood and my mom's childhood, how tough she was on, you know, on her and, and the rest of my aunts and uncles and, you know, yeah. the war that happened. And I'm always, you know, I, I come to respect my elders because I, they, I think it's different than the kids growing up nowadays, like mm-hmm. the stuff they went through. And you know what I'm talking about? You just kind of, sometimes you're in awe, like, and you got through that how, yeah. <laughs> right. But it was family. It was yeah. connection and it was staying close together and just putting their heads down and going, we're going to get through this. And maybe that's where I learned my drive from, from my family and, and from the military. And, you know, even in my own addiction, not giving up until I got sober, you know what I mean? And, and even in my recovery going like, I'm not going to stop because yeah. I can't, Right. Like what kind of example am I going to be to my children and my grandchildren? You know, the legacy I'm leaving if if grandfather's a quitter or dad's a quitter. Um, But this is how we we connect with one another. Like I get to connect with you all the way from Vancouver here in the avocado capital world uh, of the world in Fallbrook, California. Like. Yeah. Some amazing stuff, you know, like I cherish this more than, you know. Mm a lot of things, right? Because Mm -hmm. now I have a new friend in Sam and he's just shared this awesome story of how he went to find his grandfather's house in India, Mm -hmm. 
right? But I, like we have similar stories. Like I have family all over the world. It's like I got some yeah. left in Indonesia. I have a brother and sister in Holland. And then I have some cousins from my father's side that are all in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, and then family here, of course, in the United States. So, yeah, um, that's awesome. You know, and that's, that's what I want the audience to hear. Listen to what Sam's telling you, like, be okay with those challenges. That's where you're yeah. going to grow the most. That's where you're going to get those aha moments. Like, oh, I get it. That's why I'm going through this tough time instead of like throwing your hands up and giving up. Right. And then, yeah. then you live with those regrets. Well, I wish I would have just stuck with it. Right. Like I know going yeah. into, you know, being elder, I'm 53 that like, I am not going to live with any regrets. At least I'm going to try everything that comes into my path. Cause then I can say I tried and I never gave up. So, you know, I, I wrote a book also, Sam, and it's called fearless happiness. So there's a couple questions I like to ask my guests. Right. Sure. Um, So the book I wrote is actually, which I talked to you about is from my uh, journey from addiction into recovery. And um, it's called Fearless Happiness, My Addiction, My Battles, My Recovery. And so what I like to ask my guests is, mm-hmm. you know, what does fearless mean to you, mm-hmm. right? And how does that show up in your life today? Sure. Fearless for me is uh, facing the obstacles head on and going in with a sense of confidence, not cockiness, right? but con- confidence hmm. to say that, I am going to tackle this and I'm going to take this on. But equally at the same time, the realization is that there's an acronym that I use, uh, especially with call it care, to care. And that's fearless for me because it gives me the strength to move forward. Now, care stands for collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. Collaboration, we need to collaborate with each other. What strengths have I got that will support someone else? Has that helped me in my journey? So collaboration is something we need to do. Adaptability is saying, okay, I need to shift, pivot, change at times because things aren't, the environment will change. How can I respond back to that? So I have to. Resilience is this whole idea that in anything that I do, it's, it's not a hundred meter dash. My life is a marathon. How do I build resilience into my life? Because then by having the resilience, you're, you've got the fuel in the tank to carry you as far as you need to go now. And finally, empathy. We need to show more care, uh, empathy to each other because empathy is this care and compassion we show to each other. You have no idea what the person next to you is going through and Are you the one who's going to push them over the edge or are you the one that's going to support and help them? So fearless to me is embracing that care principle because it provides me this strength and this confidence to move forward without fear. Right. And I think you're right. Empathy is so important. Well, at least in what I do for a living, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very important because if I'm not empathetic Mm -hmm. to the clients I serve, they're just, they're not even going to want to work with me, you know, and they're, and they're already coming from like where they're hurting, you know, who knows, uh, you know, I haven't even met them yet and mm-hmm. um, get to get to know them, but I'm hearing about their traumas and, you know, they're coming, they're detoxing. So, you know, it's very important that empathy mm-hmm. is a big part of my life. Right. And I try to carry that whatever, 
yeah. relationship I have, right? Because like you said, we never know what someone's going through. And if we assume that's usually what gets us in trouble. Yeah. But that's, I love it. I mean, that's, you know, basically what you said is just having the courage to do the things you need to do anyway, yeah. despite the fear and, yeah. um, and moving forward. So on the second half of my title, I called happiness, right? And I have, I didn't bring you a book, but I put a Y in the happiness and I put it there for a reason, you know, and mm -hmm. I still get flack. You spelled it wrong, but there's a reason I, I put a Y there for a reason. So what does happiness mm -hmm. mean to you and how does that show up in your life? Right. Happiness for me is watching other people grow, other people succeed. Happiness to me is knowing that I was on the journey for this individual and happiness is this aspect of it's not selfish in the sense of my sense it's about outwardly i've been given a gift of storytelling speaking and all of these the more that i hold the less happy i am the more i give the happier i am and happiness to me is just this sense and feeling of connectedness that i have with individuals from all walks of life and being present for those individuals and happiness is this aspect of there's a word in my language it's called uh, and i write about it in my book it's called piar p y a a r and piar is this word that means this love that we have that comes from deep within us and it's an appreciative love so when for example if i'm you know, mentoring a student and, you know, they succeed and they graduate and they bring their parents to me and the parents are like, thank you so much for being present. And, you know, there's that level of PR. They want to host me at their house for dinner. Well, it comes from a, a place of authenticity and PR. So that's happiness for me is that word PR, but it's watching other people succeed. That's awesome. That's awesome. Right. That's kind of like what, similar to you know like zig ziglar says if you want something make sure you help it i'm just paraphrasing right help other people get what they want and you'll get what you want and yeah. you know and that's why i love what i do so much is you know what i mean when i help someone achieve sobriety and i get that call like a year later like you you changed my life thank you so much for caring enough to put up with all my stuff that i you know went through that's the payoff you know it's not it's not the money it's that joy in your heart, like you said, and, and it's, you know, cause we know happiness can be fleeting, right? You can be happy one minute, something, but it's that joy, that deep joy you feel because yeah. you're helping someone out there in the world. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm so well, grateful that you came on and, and did this show. Well, uh, I appreciate it. And you, you know, know what here, Max, I'm going to, I'm going to share this last thought with you because oh, I think this will really, um, this will really help your audience too. So what I hold is a piece of a jigsaw puzzle, okay? Right. Now, I always tell people, and this is particularly important to your audience as well, it's ordinary. What can you do with one single piece of a jigsaw puzzle? Not much. But this is what people feel like. They feel like that single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. They don't know where they fit in. They don't know what the bigger mm. picture is, but that's their life. I'm going to transform it and make this single piece from ordinary to extraordinary, because instead go. of focusing on this, the satchel, if I give you a piece of my jigsaw puzzle, do you realize my puzzle is now permanently incomplete without you? 
Do you right. realize how important you are to me now? I've given over 5,000 pieces in the world to remind people how important they are. I've had this, I've had people tell me it's taped to their mirror every morning they wake up. It reminds them somebody says that I was, I matter and that I'm important. It's traveled the world in backpacks. That's it's awesome. in curio boxes. It's in wallets where they come to me at events and they show me, they say, Sam, you're still with me. I've had people share with me in the most deepest, darkest moments of their life when they were about to give up they see this jigsaw puzzle piece. And it's not that this is the only thing that gets them out, but it's one of those things that just is there as a reminder. And they said, Sam, this was so important to me because when I saw that, it, it reminded me that my worthlessness was just a figment of my imagination. And my worthlessness means nothing because I mean everything to you because you gave me a piece of the puzzle. And if I do something that is irrational, your puzzle is going to be permanently incomplete. And I don't want to be that one piece that's now missing forever. That's so I awesome. share that with you, Max. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. And I will take that with me for the rest of my days because that's true. Mm -hmm. How many times have people felt like they didn't belong mm -hmm. and right? Like yourself, when you do that, you just, you have just changed the trajectory of their life because you cared enough to one to give them that and to explain that. So I was going to ask you that, like, what were your last thoughts and stuff like that? So you already did it for me. I appreciate it, but I do want to ask of you, sure. how can people get a hold of you? Like, where can they get your books? And if they want mentorship or coaching, like, please tell the audience how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, no. So if you uh, see the name that's on here, Sam Thiara, T-H-I-A-R-A, go to my website, www.sam-thiara.com. And I've got about 180 blog posts about life experiences and, and uh, options and opportunities that are all free. But that's also where, you know, you can see about uh, coaching, you can see about the book. Uh, I'm also available on LinkedIn. So you can always find me there and connect with me there. Um, so there's different ways to find and reach me. Awesome. Uh, any, uh, are you on Facebook at all or, or I'm on Instagram? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those places as well. Awesome. Cause I'm gonna have to connect on you there. Cause now you have a friend <laughs> for life. Cause I just loved your story. And, but that's, that's true, nice. you know, and, and that's, what I'm trying to show the world, it doesn't matter where you came from is what are you doing now to be helpful to, like there's a saying I learned, I'm helpful to some and harmful to none. And as long yeah. as I live that, God gives me a good life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I get to connect with people like yourself, Sam, which this is what I'm grateful for. Like I get to connect with you and, and the people yeah. that are coming on my show. So yeah. um, I'll definitely let you know when, when the episode airs. And, sure. but, um, yeah, you heard him folks like this is a gentleman who he just imagine he gave you that puzzle piece, right? Cause you do matter. And, and, and coming from Sam and myself, I, I couldn't agree more. Like you belong here. Yep. And like, I like to say that I've heard from mentors and friends of mine, it's like, life doesn't happen to you. It happens yep. for you. Right. Totally. So when you're asking why me, yep. ask yourself, why not me? Yep. Right. Exactly. And, and reach out to Sam. I'm sure he's got lots and lots of wisdom other than this short episode that I went by so quick. But I appreciate you, Sam. Thank, thank you, you for coming on and being a guest. I totally enjoyed this episode. So thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And thank you, Matt. So appreciate it.